So I've just hit record and let me know when you hit record. I just hit record, yes. It's early in the morning when Elvis Alves signs on to our Zoom meeting. I'll be right back. He moves from the screen to grab an important conversation item. His collection of poetry. He's been writing poems for years, ever since his days as a hospital chaplain. He's got poems for the ups and downs of his life. I'll read this one. It's called The Fire in My Brother. My brother tells me he does not see skin color, that he sees credentials and work performance. He says this after I tell him blacks are last to hired and first to fired. These are the words he recited during a public poetry reading last May. Just moments after his reading, someone hijacked the screen and hurled racist slurs. Someone infiltrated this virtual community that we worked so hard to set up and that we were in the process of sharing our work within. Online harassment takes place in many forms every day. We encounter it on and off of our jobs, but it's up to us to determine whether we'll get the last word. This is Beyond the Newsroom. A space for innovators and independent storytellers looking to shake things up in the world of media. I'm Renata Sego. And I'm Crystal Chavez. If you want to share your creativity in this world, you need some connection to any of these platforms. That one, yep, definitely that one. Zoom became our default virtual meeting space pretty early on in the pandemic. For Elvis Alves, it was a space to read his poetry publicly for the first time. Around that time, Zoom bombings were becoming a thing. Malicious users invade a chat group, often with profanity and racial slurs. They started shouting racial epithets. They shouted the N-word. Reverend Joe Amico was celebrating Easter month in April by opening up his Sunday sermons on Zoom until it was interrupted by video of a KKK cross burning. Who are these people? I remember my mom had told me she heard about Zoom bombings on the news and that kid birthday parties and all kinds of virtual events were being bombed with obscene things, pictures of male anatomy and such. That's awful. Elvis was the first in a short lineup of poets to read his work. It was for a publication called Ethel Zine. The turnout was mostly white. Elvis read his poems, and then someone seized control of the screen. I remember um, military personnel um, walking through the, the screen. So there was, um, like it was a European military parade. I, I remember a, a voice saying, show us your tits in reference to one of the um, creators. Uh, both of them are females. Um, and... Um, there was the saying white nigger um, as well, which I, I believe um, referred to the white woman who, who again, run um, Ethel. You know, you, you, you um, or I went from being very happy to, oh my God, I can't believe what just happened. That had to have been surreal. And you were actually there when this happened. Yeah, I mean, it was jarring. You know, when he finished his poems and the screen changed, it looked like a special presentation was starting. So I'm like, okay, 
But then when the military personnel appeared, it became very clear that this was something else, you know, something contrived. And did you have to put in a password to get into this event? Yeah, you did. Yeah. When the bombing took place or hijacking, I actually prefer to call it hijacking, the host ended the meeting. Then the poets recorded the recital privately. And that link later got shared. If you look at it overall, um, our stopping and then starting again did not resolve the fact that this um, episode happened and it will probably happen again. But what can people do to try to prevent it from happening to them? Well, one is awareness. Elvis says the incident has made him more clear about guarding passwords for virtual events and gathering certain information from event organizers when he's asked to speak. I would ask them, how secure is this? Um, Maybe I will um, ask them about the audience who will be there. So um, that I know that I'm engaging in something um, that is safe on certain levels. Yeah, sounds like he's taking a lot more precautions up front and really making sure that organizers are doing their part. Elvis says that it's okay to disengage from situations that you don't feel good about, too. You know, he hasn't attended a virtual poetry reading since that one, actually. I talk about putting your work out there, and you should definitely do that. Um, But also, um, always guard your sanity. Um, always take care of yourself. And um, you can say no to um, events or requests that you feel that are not safe. Um, and, and, and so in some ways, perhaps I'm doing that subconsciously um, by not putting myself out there virtually as I would if... Um, the physical space was available to do so. Um, But that is me taking care of myself because my sanity, my sense of um, safety um, is paramount, is important to me. Um, And and I think that allows me to keep on uh, producing as a writer. Last fall, some online courses emerged to equip journalists with armor to navigate the virtual world. Beyond Zoom meetings, too, and spaces like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, you know, these are such tricky spaces because it's really easy for people to hide behind their computers. Yes, and to get cocky behind that keyboard. Cocky. Cocky. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's sometimes hard to track where the slander comes from. Right. I remember trying to track down an IP address for some bullshit. (laughs) Someone sent the radio station in Orlando and several employees had a sneaking suspicion that managers may be writing emails about on-air talent pretending to be (laughs) listeners. And like, honestly, I would not put it past some people. (laughs) I remember that there was one person in particular people thought it was coming from. They say one way to deal with online harassment is to have a virtual crew. 
That is a group of people who can stand up for you when someone attacks online. I talked to Edna Nansima, who deals with a lot of online harassment and has her crew. She lives in Uganda. We talk on Zoom. And yes, there's a password for this convo. Okay, just hold on a minute. Let me, I'm, I'm trying to chat to get to plug in my computer, yeah. All right, we are good now. Edna is the co-founding editor of La Cuena. It's a website devoted to feminist writing. The articles there cover a range of topics from maternal health and shared grief to policing. Edna self-identifies as a feminist writer above all. Every interview I do, uh, every source that I source or meet is very rooted in feminist politics. I actively dedicate my craft to uh, the liberation of women. Most of Etna's activism she does on Twitter. She's got more than 90,000 tweets. Some of them address some heavy topics, anti-homophobia, heteronormative culture, etc., etc. She's doing all of this from Uganda, where conversations like these are considered radical by the mainstream. I mean, this is a country whose president signed a bill into law punishing homosexuality by life in prison. And Edna's got 10,000 followers. I'm just scrolling through and seeing tweets about misogyny, La Piers Morgan, dismantling hierarchical systems, women supporting other women. Yeah. Edna tweets multiple times a day, and the criticism she receives is constant. The last time was when someone came into my DM and... Uh, uh, was telling me about uh, a tweet I wrote and said, oh, you guys think you talk tough, but, you know, you better be careful, you know, uh, and given the political um, atmosphere right now, I guess, was supposed to be some kind of warning. It's someone I know. The harassment started for Edna back in 2014 when she publicly declared herself feminist. Every week I would get some sort of verbal abuse. There were uh, feminist voices online, but uh, they in our, like I guess in our age group, they want even before they want that many and so my friends, a few friends of mine and I then kind of just reigned this feminism on, on, you know, the timeline. And we were unrelenting and we were considered radical. I feel like that's not radical enough even. Yeah, tell us more about the kind of pushback she gets. Well, some groups have been call her and her friends feminazis. You know, I spent on Nazis. One time a user posted a photo of two women kissing and said one of the women was her. The photo was shared widely and she says it was intended to endanger her. She's dealt with people threatening to release her nude pictures too. What people on Twitter would do is that then they would form communities of abuse, yeah? So that when I would tweet something or write something, and, and one person talked about it, they would share in WhatsApp groups, and then all of the people in those WhatsApp groups would come online and add to that abuse. And it was 
extremely draining. I cannot tell you. The attacks sound very coordinated and, yeah, draining for her. If the notifications never stop and it's abusive comment after abusive comment. These tweets were coming from men and women. When we talked, Edna was actually taking a break from the computer. This is something she's learned to do more and more. Edna says she's learned to deal with the harassment by blocking people, too. She changes her social media passwords every month and adds extra layers of security. Ah, the beauty of blocking. (laughs) And it's silent, so you just do it. Block! You know, Edna's going through all of this, but not alone. And what else does she do to take care of herself? She goes to therapy. She can afford to do this. All of this takes its toll. Through therapy, I learned to give myself permission to say, you know what, if I don't come out and talk about how problematic this tweet is or how uh, sexism is manifesting in in, uh, the parliament of Uganda or why uh, this brutality is happening, if I don't do it just one day, I'll be fine. Like, it will be fine. The world won't collapse, you know? Yeah. She feels an obligation, it sounds like, but it's okay to pull back some days. I wanted to ask you, because I know you took one of these armor up against online harassment classes. What did you learn? Yeah, I took a class. One of the main instructors wasn't even on Twitter, though. (laughs) Disengaged completely from online conversations. So I'm over here like, y'all aren't even in the fight like that. But one of the most profound tools is being part of a community that understands what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. And maybe the invisibility cloak was the instructor's idea of the best armor. Preparing courses for journalists. You know, that's how how they're using their influence. And Etna is still doing her thing. She's firing off tweets in defense of her stance in this world. And what about Elvis, who we heard from earlier? In the months after the poetry reading, Elvis self-published a book. The poems are short, they're statements really, and they talk about race and class and oppression. That incident was one among many that have um, inspired me to to write and to write with a, a deep sense of trying to understand myself, the world, and to push forward in terms of a better life, a better society. A real way to use your words as weapons in these times we're living in. Mightier than the sword, as they say. What are the ways that you stand up for yourself? Tweet us at BTN, honey. Beyond the Newsroom is produced with support from PRX and the Google Podcast Creator Program. Special thanks for listening. Until next time, keep doing you, honey.